Um, we just pray that God's mercy finds you, that his grace has been the one that's keeping you through, and that no matter where you are, what you're feeling, you know that God loves you and God's with you. Uh, we'll be continuing, I think this is the second to last of our series about following the commands of Jesus. Again, we've kind of blanketed and, and founded this whole series on saying Jesus is Lord. And that's not just something we say, that's something we believe, and that's something that actually is going to impact our lives. Because if Jesus is Lord, we are going to submit to him. If Jesus is Lord, he is the one we're going to follow. If Jesus is Lord, he's the one that because he says so, we will do. On the last several weeks, we've talked about all these different commands. We talk about repent, follow me, says Jesus, be salt and light, love your neighbor, the great commission, which is go and make disciples of the nations. And when we ask how, why, he says, teach them the things I have taught you. Um, we've talked about being graceful, loving our enemies, living to store up treasures in heaven, not to worry, and serving um, but this week, we're going to talk about this one command about how we are to be people who pray. Now, a lot of us who grew up in the church grew up with some memory of the Lord's Prayer. We grew up saying the Lord's Prayer. In fact, for most of us, this is the best prayer. You know, if Jesus prayed it, it's got to be good. And if Jesus prayed it, it's got to be the best prayer. Um, I remember as a kid, we had devotions, which um, not really the most exciting things for teenagers to have devotions in your house every Sunday morning, especially when you knew you had at least four to five hours of church. And that's if you didn't also have to go to the Liberian church that afternoon, right? So it's like we would have have family devotions. And I remember um, there were certain requirements for family devotions. Like we had to come with um, at least something that God has taught us that week. We had to come with some verse that we memorized. We had to come with um, some expectation or, or something that we're relying on God for. And this was all trained in us, you know. And, and, and my, um, like uh, in these devotions, you had to be sharp. You know, if you only had your same three to five answers, you had to rotate them. Because if you rotated the same thing back to back weeks, they'll know you didn't read. So, you know, it was a little pressure. Um, but one of the things I think I, I didn't realize that I loved about these devotions is that every time we ended family prayer, we would say the Lord's Prayer together. And that theology of the Lord's Prayer then starts getting baked into your soul. Um, and this is something that has been not just in my family, but in families for thousands of years, in churches for thousands of years. In fact, if you look at church history, there's not a lot that we consistently do, right? Like we even identify ourselves with all these different tribes. But when you look at the Lord's Prayer, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, whether you're Orthodox or as we call ourselves Anabaptist, right? However you identify Jesus, this has been a prayer that was central to you. But one of the things I think I've really, really grown to love about the Lord's Prayer, though, is that it's communal and not individual. Jesus is asking us to pray together and pray for all of us. In fact, one of the other interesting things about the Lord's Prayer is that it's one of the most Christian prayers, but it's also actually a very, very Jewish prayer, meaning that there's nothing that Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer that a Jew listening back then, or I would argue even a Jew today, doesn't hear and say, yes, I pray that prayer too. The other thing about the Lord's Prayer, though, is that look at how many times Jesus says, you know, our Father our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. In fact, the Lord's Prayer then forms as kind of a hymn. Hymn in the idea of not like the old songs we sing, but you have to remember this wasn't a very literate culture. This was a culture of memorization. This was a culture that, that they needed to learn stuff, but the way they would learn stuff is by memorizing it. So from the early church, how do we put the theology in people? We would memorize the Lord's Prayer. 
And I think the one beautiful thing that we sometimes miss is that they would say this together. And in that public confession, you would hear not only what you believe, but what we believe. And together you would feel the power of the Lord's prayer. The other thing I think that's important about the Lord's prayer, and this is just a technical thing, is that I don't really think this is the Lord's prayer. This is actually the Lord teaching us how to pray. In fact, if you look at the text, the disciple says, well, how then shall we pray? And Jesus says, well, if you're going to pray, pray like this. You know, and so for your homework for this week is I want you to go to what I think is the actual Lord's Prayer. And that's in John 17. I want you to read that. And the reason I want you to read that is because I think it's inspirational. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to die on the cross for our sins. Yet he stops and prays for his disciples, all the ones who followed him. And then even more incredibly, he takes time to pray for you. He takes time to pray for all of us who would be the fruit of the work of those disciples as well. But this morning, in light of that, in light of saying that this is how we should pray, and the command is really we should be people that pray, I want us to kind of dive back into this text with that mindset. Not just how we should pray, but why it's important for us to be people who pray. If you have your Bibles, um, turn to Matthew 6, 5 to 15. Um, we'll also have it up front so you can follow there as well. If you're at home, good luck. Maybe you have it on your phone, all right? Uh, but Matthew 6, 5 to 15, I'll start reading at verse 5. Um, actually, I'll pray first, and then we'll get into the text. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much for the blessing of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the blessing of prayer, that we can close our eyes and bow our spirits and our hearts and commune and fellowship and talk to the living God. That you stoop your ear down low from heaven to hear what we have to say. That even the words we can't mutter or utter gets taken by the Holy Spirit and taken up to you. That you, Lord Jesus, get to now stand before the Father as our mediator on our behalf. We thank you for the gift of prayer. But Lord, more than that, we pray that this morning that we can accept your call, that we can listen to this command and heed it, that we would also be people that pray. In your holy and precious name, amen. Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, Matthew 6, 5 to 15 falls in this, this, this first half of the chapter of 1 to 18 where Jesus is redefining righteousness. Jesus is looking at the people and saying, this is what you think righteousness is, but I will show you what righteousness really is. In fact, the people back then understood Understood righteousness as the Pharisees. We, 2,000 years later, it's very easy for us to look down at the Pharisees. But for everyone in Jesus' audience, if you wanted to know what it meant to follow God, you looked at the Pharisees. They looked the part. 
They did the part. They, they actually played the part. They were honored for playing the part. Now, one of the things that the Pharisees did is that they so valued God's law, they did what we call defense laws, that they didn't want to break the actual laws, that they would actually build laws on top of laws to keep them from breaking the actual law, right? And, and so if that was too complicated, the other thing they did is like, okay, we have about 613 laws. We're going to shrink it down to three, right? And the three they would shrink it down to is almsgiving or giving to the poor, praying and fasting. Last week when we talked about, you know, the idea of giving to the needy, it's, it's more Jesus says, it's not just giving to the poor and giving to the marginalized, it's giving everything that you are always for my kingdom. And this week when he talks about prayer, he's going to say it's not just about praying so that you can be seen. It's not about praying like the Pharisees or even praying like the Jews and the, the Romans and the Greco-Romans all around you who sometimes babble and they got to get the God's attention. That's why they go on and on. No, what does prayer actually look like? And you remember, though they had 613 and they broke it down to three, give to the poor, pray fast. Jesus says, well, I like the idea of breaking it down because y'all made it complicated, right? 613 and then you added more. I like that, but let's break it down to two. And the two that Jesus break down, you see it time and time again in the gospel. He says, what? Love the Lord your God with the entirety of your being, with your heart, your mind, your soul, your everything. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. You have to understand that the Jewish understanding of neighbor wasn't just who's next door to you. It was every single person you meet. And you see that in Leviticus 19 when God calls them to love their neighbor. Yes, he cares about the people close to you and around you, but he actually cares about loving the other, every single person. Greater than the other was the idea of loving the marginalized. So who is weak upon you? Who is poor? Who is widowed? Who is orphaned? Who is the one society is leaving behind? Because I need you, says our God to love them. So Jesus takes these 613, says, love God, love the other. And if you want to know what righteousness is, don't look at the Romans around you. Don't look at the Pharisees around you. Look at me. Because ultimately righteousness is living and loving like Jesus. And then he gets down to the passage and he starts talking about prayer. The first thing he wants us to understand is that I don't want you to pray, to be seen, to be heard, to be praised by others. Now, Jesus is not condemning public prayer. Jesus is not saying when you gather together, don't pray. But Jesus is saying, stop putting on a show. The people would have been familiar with actors and, and the theater back then. And Jesus is running with this theater analogy the whole time. He says, everyone knows when the actors go on stage, they play a part. Everyone knows when they come off the stage, they take their mask off and they're the real person. Jesus says, stop praying to me as if it's a show. Stop praying to me as if, you know, you're just trying to please the people around you. Because if that's what the heart of your prayer is, to pray in public, to be seen by others, to be elevated by others, if that's the heart of what you're praying, your only reward will come in the clap you might get from them. It will not come from our Father in heaven. Jesus is not condemning public prayer, but he's condemning prayer that puts you at the center, prayer that gives glory to you, prayer that lifts you up and not God our Father. 
Jesus is condemning a prayer that is centered on us and not on God. The other thing that I think is beautiful about this passage is Jesus is saying, yeah, when the people around you pray, they're either putting on a show or they're trying to get God's attention. So a lot of the people in that culture, the reason they would pray is because they were trying to get God's attention. So they would basically say the gods are busy, they're up there, they're doing their own thing. So I'm just going to keep rattling off all their names. And after I got through all their names, I might tell everything they do to me. And after everything they've done to me, I'm tell how great they are. And after I tell how great they are, I might tell again all their names because eventually they might listen to me. And Jesus is saying, no, your father in heaven who loves you, our father in heaven who holds you, our father will always hear you. You don't have to pray to get God's attention. You just have to pray by giving God your attention. See, Jesus flips it. They thought they had to pray to get God's attention. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Focus when you pray so that you can give God your attention. He's already got your attention. He's already focused on you. But are you focused on him when you pray? And then when you look at the prayer as a whole, he's saying, yes, pray for today. But always pray that heaven comes down to earth. Always pray not just for what you want, but that God's will will be done, that the kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. I want to pause to say a quick few words about prayer in general. Now, Jesus in his passage says, you know, I want you to pray to God because he sees, he hears, and he knows our needs. And so some of us are just like, well, if he knows everything, why we need to pray? I'll explain why I think we need to pray. The first one is that prayer is a conversation. It's a chance not just for you to talk to God, but also to listen to God. And one of the practical ways I've held on to this is just think about your most important relationships. You know, maybe just think about one. You know, maybe that's too overwhelming, right? Think about one important relationship. Now think about if you only communicated with this person who's important to you the way you communicate with God in prayer. If you only talk to this person when you're running out to God, thank you for this food, amen, right? If that was your only conversation was, was how you pray, was how you communicate to this person. Most of us, if we're honest, will say, wow, that would be lacking. Prayer is a conversation with the one who so perfectly loves us. And if it's a conversation, then it's important, not just what we have to say, but also what we have to hear. Because conversations work best when it's not just one person talking. Conversations work best when you can talk, but also more if you can listen. So prayer has to be a conversation, a back and forth, where yes, you're vulnerable, you're honest, you pour your heart to God, but you're also quiet and focused on God and let God's spirit speak to you. Prayer is a conversation. And the reason it's a conversation, the reason this is important, is because prayer is about intimacy and relationship. The people Jesus is talking to wanted to pray to get stuff. They wanted to pray to feel like they were important. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I need you to pray because in prayer, God will transform you. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard says, prayer does not change God, but it changes the one who prays. I love Coretica Scott King. She's one of my favorite philosophers, too. I think she actually is the reason Martin became a pacifist, but that's just me. That's another conversation, right? Coretta doesn't get the credit she deserves, but she says, looking at the civil rights movement, she said, prayer is how we open our hearts to God. 
How we make that vital connection that empowers us to overcome overwhelming obstacles and become instruments of God's will. Prayer is how you open your hearts to God. It's about intimacy. It's about relationship. It's about God meeting you where you are, wrapping you with his spirit, clothing you in his love, and growing you into the person he desires you to be. Prayer is also important. And I have two little girls who I love with all my heart. And if I did my prayer relationship the way I have a relationship with them, it would be a little funny. Prayer isn't just, you know, yeah, let's go and talk to God, but it's making time to spend time, to be in time, to pause time, to be with God. We talk to the people we love. How much more should we talk and commune and fellowship with our God? Because in prayer, we are invited into God's presence. David, the man after God's own heart, says, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Yet all of us who believe in Jesus have that Holy Spirit living inside of us. And prayer invites us into the throne room, invites us in front of God's presence, and we have to take this invitation. Because prayer then shows our reliance on God. And one of the things I love about this passage is because Jesus seems to reinforce that sometimes the best prayer you can say is just, God, thank you. Or if it's real, real dire, you say, God, help. Or God, please. It doesn't matter how long it is. It just matter where your heart is and is your heart being given to him. Prayer is a chance for you to say, God, I'm at my wit's end. God, I'm so weak. God, I can't do this. God, I need you. Lord, I need you. This is why prayer has been described as fellowship, as worship, as intercession, as petition, as personal, as communal, as spontaneous, as recitative, because prayer is God's instrument to transform all of us. So how then should we pray? Well, let's look at Jesus, because he lived in love to show what righteousness is. How then should we pray? The first one is as much as we love our personal Savior, Jesus Christ, when we pray, we should go to our Father too. It's about us, not just me. It's about all of us, not just me. We have to not just pray about me and mine and God cares about you and yours, but God so loved the world. Jesus has prayed to our Father. It's not just about him making us into the family of God. It's about all of us belonging in the family of God together. Call out to your Father in heaven, for he hears you, for he loves you, for he holds you, for he's carrying you, for he loves to hear from you. And then Jesus says, remember that our God is holy. Hallowed be thy name. And for years, you know, people heard this and they're just like, yeah, 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 that's good. That's good. We need to remember God's all powerful and God's almighty. And I think that's true. But I don't think that's what Jesus wants us to remember. I'm fairly certain Jesus knows that God is almighty, that God is all powerful. When Jesus invites us to say, hallowed be thy name, I think it's a reminder to us that God is almighty, that God is holy, but that God, the holy almighty one, we need you to act now. 
God, the one in heaven, we need you on earth now. God, who's all powerful, we need you to act now. All these things that Jesus asked for and we ask for communally in the Lord's Prayer is asking God, who's holy, to act now. And then Jesus says, if you're going to pray, pray for the kingdom. Pray for the kingdom. And what is the kingdom but Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth? Of Jesus walking to earth to show us how to live in love? Of Jesus dying on Calvary's tree to redeem us and set us free? What is the kingdom but Jesus being raised on the third day? Of Jesus in heaven preparing it for us? What is the kingdom but Jesus before God as our mediator? What is the kingdom but Jesus coming back again to bring us all home to glory? What is the kingdom that we're praying for? Because we've gotten too good praying for our personal kingdoms. But are we praying for on earth as it is in heaven? Are we praying for God's kingdom to come here now? Are we praying for Jesus to be king? Are we praying for Jesus to reign? Are we praying that God would open our eyes so that we can see wondrous things that he's already doing on earth as it is in heaven? And then he says... Pray to have bread. I think what's interesting is that at the end of Matthew 6, he tells you not to worry about your bread. He tells you not to worry about what you'll eat or drink. But yeah, he says pray for bread. Because I think Jesus knows that there's going to be times in life and there's going to be some of us who don't know where that next meal is going to come from. So we need to pray and rely on God for even our next meal. But I think for all of us, Jesus also knows that we are always at any given point in life going to need the bread of life. So it's not just the physical bread that you need to eat, but pray that you may be entering and eating and and, then taking inside of you the Jesus who is the bread of life. And then he says, pray for forgiveness for everyone. And in that prayer, you're pledging to have already forgiven. And this was new to me this week. When we pray, forgive all of us our sins, we're saying before God, I have already forgiven those who have sinned against me. And that's why Jesus, and John will say it later, if you forgive, you look like Jesus, you look like God. If you don't forgive, you look like your father, the devil. It's important for us to realize that this prayer for forgiveness isn't just my personal sins. It's saying that even those who've sinned against me, Lord, forgive them too, as I have already forgiven them. We have to understand that for the people back then, sin was a debt. It was a debt you owed. And for those of us who grew up in Sunday school, it was a debt you could not pay, right? But sin was a debt that had to be settled. And the reason it had to be settled was because sin, and I think we would do well to remember this, our sin, our falling short, isn't just between us and God. We hurt people when we fall short. We hurt people through our sin. It's a debt that needs to be reconciled, not just between us and God, but between me and my sister or me and my brother. Sin hurts people too. So when we say, God, forgive us our sins, we're saying, God, reconcile my sins to you, but also, Lord, I'm going to forgive my brother and my sister so they can be reconciled to me as I am to you. Asking God to forgive is also your pledge to forgive. God says, don't ask me for my forgiveness if you're not willing to forgive too. And then there's this last one that for years trumped me, if you will. 
the idea of lead us not into temptation. And even since I was a kid, I was just like, well, God can't be tempted. This seems tricky, you know, like, and it also doesn't seem right that God would lead us, you know, like, is he, if he lead us not into temptation, can he lead us into temptation? And I did too many years doing backflips thinking this through. But now my best thinking is if you look at the Greek, there's a freedom here where Jesus isn't saying, God, the temptations aren't going to come protect me from temptation. I think there's a lot of our Christianity that looks like that, right? The world is so dirty, like I got to run from it. The world is so dark, I got to run from it. The city's so dark, I got to run from it. There's a lot of our Christianity that looks like that. I don't think that's what Jesus is praying. I think what he's asking us to pray is that, yes, protect us from evil because evil is going to come. Because temptations will come. Because trials will come. Because you may be the light, but light only shines in the darkness. So guess what? The darkness will come. Jesus is asking us to pray for protection from the evil that will come. But also from the evil one whose entire desire is to destroy you. His entire work is to get you to take your eyes off of Jesus. It's to get you to stop believing. It's to get you to stop trusting. It's to get you to stall in your faith. Because you're either living for God or paralyzed in your faith. And if you're living for God, you're helping to defeat the devil. You're helping to make your light shine. You're helping to draw people to Jesus. If you're paralyzed in your faith and you're doing none of that, the devil rejoices. Because a mediocre, backslidden Christian is something the devil loves. So Jesus says, it's not about leading us or not into temptation, but it's knowing that temptation will come, that evil is real, that darkness is here. But Lord, protect us from all of that. I think if we look at this as a whole, the command here isn't just pray this prayer because I prayed it too. I think the command here is, I need you to live this prayer. I need you to be people who commit to praying. Jesus expects all of his disciples to be praying people. Now, I know some of us who grew up in church or some of us who are new to church is like, well, that's just not my gift. I don't pray. I pray sometimes, but that's not my gift. No, 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 no. Jesus expects every single person to be a praying person. All of us belong to God. All of us are loved by God. God desires to hear from all of us. God is working inside all of us. Jesus' expectation is that if I am your Lord, if I belong to you as you belong to me, you will be a praying person too. And Jesus calls us to pray how he prays, knowing that God is our father, knowing that God can act now, knowing that the kingdom is coming, knowing that God's will might be different than mine, but God's will will be done, knowing that on earth as it is in heaven as possible, knowing that I can get today's bread as I hold on to the bread of life, knowing that I can forgive because I've been forgiven too, and knowing that no matter how dark the darkness seems, no matter how hard the trial seems, no matter how unrelenting the temptation seems, Jesus can protect you. God can see you through. The Spirit still lives inside of you. So I want us today to maybe do two little things. And the first one is I want to welcome you and ask you to do something this week. I want you to pray for something big. Something real big. I don't even know what it is, right? I want you to pray for something that you can sit back right now and say, 
only God can do this. I want you to pray for something big. And I want you to commit to praying for that big thing. And it might be for souls to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It might be some dream of, of how you see God working and moving in your life or in the lives of the people you love. It might be a dream you have for this church, but I want you to commit today to praying for something big. Because I think in that prayer, God will not just open doors, but he will transform your heart. And if we're going to pray for something big, I also want us to commit today to praying for something small. Corey Ten Boom has this great line where she says, if it's too small, you know, for you to pray, then it's definitely too small for it to be a concern or a burden for you, right? You can take anything to God in prayer. So if you're going to pray for a dream that's so big, I also want you to pledge to pray for something small. Because God wants to hear from you. And we are blessed every time we submit to God in prayer. So what is the big dream that you know only God can do? Commit to praying for that today. What's the little thing that you've been kind of putting off and saying, ah, God doesn't care about that? Commit to praying for that too. Because in prayer, you're invited to God's presence, to not only for him to hear you, not only for you and him to be focused on one another, but for you to be transformed as you see him move. I'd like to invite Pastor Hannah and the worship team back up. Uh, we'll be closing by singing the song, Lord, I Need You. Um, I'd also like to invite up Pastor Woody and Pastor Carmen. I think we'll be up here. Uh, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you have anything that you want prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. And one of the reasons I love this song is because... Um, you know, the Psalms are songs, right? And they're songs that have kind of evolved into prayers. And I think there's, 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 there still happens today where people write songs that can become prayers. And I know for me personally, the words of this song have kind of been a prayer. So as we stand and sing together, we'd like to invite you, please come up for prayer, yes. But as you sing this song, let it also be the prayer of your heart. Because sometimes the best prayer we can say is simply what? Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Let's stand and sing together. Holy name. 
blessing to give our needs to our Father. What a blessing to give them to the God who's faithful, who's good, who's true. To the one whose mercies are new every morning. To the one whose compassion does not fail us. To the one who says we will not be consumed. No matter what life throws at you, you will not be consumed. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that we need you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that every hour, every day, every minute, every second, we need you. But Lord, help us to know that you are indeed our righteousness, that we are to take our eyes off of ourselves and and keep them planted on you so that we can know what it means to live and love and please God. But God, we also thank you that you are our one defense, that no matter what this world throws at us, no matter what evils we see, what darkness we feel, what brokenness we experience, that you're the God who heals, that you're the light of the world, and you're the one who will always see us through. So, Lord, we thank you that we need you, but we thank you even more that you answer our needs and do your will in our lives. Lord, help us to live for you fully. Help us to trust you fully. Help us to give our whole hearts to you, our whole lives to you. Lord, we thank you that we need you, but we thank you even more that you choose to listen to us, to love us, and to carry us. In your holy and precious name, amen.